John chapter 3. And I would like to speak to you on what I am entitling a sermon for one man. We're going to begin reading there then at verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil 
hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Amen. We trust the Lord will bless his own word to our hearts for his name's sake. This morning I want us particularly to take the question that is asked by Nicodemus in verse 9 as the point from which we'll start our thinking. Nicodemus answered and said, How can and I want to stress as we begin this time this morning that here you have not just a response that is general, but here is a response from the voice of God to the questions that perhaps each man would ever ask who seeks the salvation of the Lord. So again, I would present to you my title, A Sermon to One Man, and may God bless us as we think on this. Before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, now we pray that you will take the word of God and will use it and allow it to be that which causes our hearts and minds to consider the truth of this passage, the message that you have for us all. Lord, may we find ourselves understanding what it is that you would have all of us not only to know, but to believe with all our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will bless then this time, anoint the word with the Spirit's power. Help me as thy servant give thought and word that the Lord Jesus truly would be seen and glorified in our midst today. And we pray it in his precious name and for his sake. We read in the first number of verses of John chapter 3, of one man coming to the Lord Jesus by night. The thing that is of note particularly is that this man sought to learn from the Lord how a man can have his heart right before God. He sought an answer from the Lord because it was obviously seen by him that the miracles that Christ did spoke of the power of God. Now what makes Nicodemus's questions amazing is that he was a Pharisee and knew very well the law of Moses. In fact, if some scholars are right, Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, but perhaps the most prominent teacher in the Pharisaic school under Gamaliel, the school from which came the Apostle Paul. Verse 10, the Lord Jesus says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Excuse me, that was verse 11. But then in verse 10, the question that precedes that thought, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? It is suggested by some that verse 10 identifies Nicodemus not just as a master teacher, but the master teacher of the school of the Pharisees. That he was a man of great stature intellectually and religiously 
among the Jews. He was a revered teacher. Now some criticize Nicodemus, saying that he was a coward because he came to the Lord Jesus by night. Probably more correctly, see the reason that he came by night was that he wanted to have a quiet and uninterrupted conversation with the Lord. A conversation which would have been impossible at other times in the day. We need to understand and stress that the honesty, the integrity, and the courage of Nicodemus are also to be learned by other moments in which he is mentioned in John's Gospel. In John chapter 7, Nicodemus defends the Lord Jesus before the Sanhedrin when he answers against the accusations of the Lord by saying, Doth our law any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Well, this was an obvious act that would have been anything, uh, it would not have been anything but an act of courage on his part. Such a question might have even suggested to those that heard the question, is this man possibly a believer on Jesus Christ? Also in John chapter 19, it speaks of Nicodemus coming with Joseph of Arimathea to anoint the body of the Lord for burial. This too showed his willingness to identify himself with Christ. Many would notice this act. It is, though, as we are considering the conversation of the Lord with him, it is this conversation that we have here in John chapter 3 that causes us to remember this man most particularly. We might ask, was the conversation that we have here, though personal and alone, a conversation that all the redeemed together had with the Lord Jesus? Is Nicodemus a, perhaps a representative of the question that all of us both need to ans ask and to have answered? Well, I believe the answer to that is yes. And we might ask in connection with that, well, how so? What Nicodemus asked of the Lord is what is asked in the heart of any man. Whoever really wants to know the answer to the question, how can I be made right with God and sure of heaven? That is the question that Nicodemus really was asking of the Lord. However, in getting his answer, Nicodemus makes his inquiry by asking the Lord Jesus three things, each beginning with the word how. Now, the first how is implied, and the next two are heard out loud. What are these hows? What are the questions that Nicodemus asks? First, verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for, he can do, for no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. Here's the question that verse 2 implies. How is it that you can do these miracles except you are come from God and all you say is true and must be believed? Let me say it again. The first question. How is it that you can do these miracles 
except you are come from God and all you say is true and must be believed. That is the implied question, the implied subject that he raises in verse 2. In verse 4, we read, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I would suggest to you that that question may more particularly be asked in these words. How can a man be made new? For the for what you describe is impossible with the natural man. That was a response to the Lord said, except you be born again. How can this be? How can a man be made new for you to, what you describe with the natural man? And then verse 9. We see Nicodemus saying to the Lord, how can these things be? Or, rather, how is it that salvation can be can possibly be accomplished for clearly it has nothing to do with man you say it doesn't have anything to do it has to do with the spirit it has to do with the water it has to do with the, an act of God that is very much like the wind how can these things be well my proposition to you this morning is that the answer of Christ is a sermon to one man but the answer is a call to all men. Now I have to say, and I think you understand what I'm saying here, is that we are so used to generalizing this portion of Scripture that we sometimes miss what's being said. We even isolate the individual verses. I want to remind and emphasize this truth. The this man are the very responses of God himself. I want you to think with me on that. I think that's what impressed me initially about this whole passage as I was thinking about what to preach for this morning. This is God saying in response to the questions of this man what must be said to us all. Christ Jesus spoke here as God. He is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he speaks with the voice of heaven. God himself answers these hows. Well, I want you to think with me then on the answer that the Lord Jesus gave and what each question brings to the fore. Each one of these three questions that begin with the word how. The first thing I want you to see that the Lord Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here and teaches us is this, that salvation comes from above. Salvation comes from above. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When the Lord Jesus says that every man saved must be born again, it may also be rendered born from above. Why? scholars will sometimes prefer that actually as the rendering of verse 3 is because of what you read in verse 13 when the Savior says and no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the son of man which is in heaven the reference is coming from above now 
Nicodemus was a master teacher of the law. We must remember that. He knew all the commands and requirements that the Jews held as the revelation of the mind of God. There was not a part of the law and the prophets of which he was ignorant. The Lord, though, was not telling Nicodemus that there was no value in the law, for if that was true, God would not have given it. What the Lord was saying by offering a situation that was physically impossible was that by the mere keeping of the law, no man would be saved. Or as Paul later comments in Galatians 2 and verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So what's the problem here? What's, what's the Lord dealing with? What is the subject that is at hand? Well, it's simply this. Man is sinful. He is simple because all men are fallen and sinners by nature. And even though a man may keep some of the law and keep it well, he is still under, the, under sin and therefore the sentence of death is The Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, there has to be a great spiritual change in a man from above that is so thorough and so complete that it is as if a man is born over again, that he is now fresh and clean, that there's a new start, there's a new beginning entirely for him. Now the Lord Jesus points to the miracles that he does and the words that he speaks as the proof that this change is from the power of God and that it is in the heart of a man and that it must be done if a man is to be saved. So there's the first point, that the answer to the question. If you are going to be saved, you must see a change by the power of God. So drastic. That you are a new creature. In other words, you cannot begin salvation in yourself. It doesn't happen by anything that you do. Nicodemus, understand. You have to have something that's done from above. Salvation is from above. Then we come to the second thing. And that is salvation involves all of you. Not collectively talking about the, the people of God, but what is in a man entirely. Salvation involves all of you. Here is the addressing of a plainly confused Nicodemus. The Lord puts the matter in the most basic terms. You have to be born then entirely, your whole person. Now, a couple of things I will just say as a preliminary thought before I explain what I'm coming to here. This would rule out some very particular points that men like to quibble about, that men like to point to as theological arguments. When the Lord Jesus says that a man has to be entirely changed from above, this then first rules out some things. Number one, a man cannot be partly born. Huh? Yes. 
There are some that would believe that a man needs to be changed, but not all of him, that there's some part of him that is alive already, that is functional already. All he needs to have is God to transform the, a certain part of him. No, there's no such thing as being partly born. The Lord Jesus is saying there needs to be a complete, complete and total change that is outside of you because you are dead. Second, there is not some part of man that does not need to be born because it is some neutral part of man. Many will say, well, the will of fallen, it's not depraved, nor is it that which has been regenerated. It's just a neutral thing. No, sir. When a man is to be born again, the whole of him has to be involved, not just part. There's not some part that is not needing to be dealt with. And then third, we must also understand that there is not a part of man that is born already and then realizes the need to be born the rest of the way and so calls out to the Lord to be born. You say, now that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Yes, it is. Think about it. But there will be some part of you that is alive already, realizes that it is alive, but not totally, so it calls out to God that I'm alive the rest of the way. No, it doesn't work that way. When the Lord says in verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, he is including all that has to do with both the life and the heart of a man. Now, how so? What's the Lord saying then to Nicodemus? By these words. In fact, verse 5 is something that oftentimes men get themselves all confused about. Well, I don't necessarily say that I have the final answer on everything, but I will tell you what I think. I would say that the reference here, when the Lord Jesus speaks of the water, that that is a reference to cleansing. And this is likely, at least in my mind, a reference to the baptism of John the Baptist, which was a, a moment in which people came and confessed their sins and was marked by repentance. Sins were washed as the repentance for sin was known and sins were confessed. Now John's ministry was well and widely known. The Pharisees were constantly pestering John. At least it seemed that way. Nicodemus, as, a, as the master teacher among them, would certainly have been familiar with John's words and the meaning of his baptism with water. The connection would have been easily made. But even if it could be questioned whether John's baptism is in view, the point of the need of cleansing of the heart by repentance is the obvious meaning of the word. For the Lord came from heaven to save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. So the point there, when we refer to the water, the point is there's no salvation. There is no salvation unless there is a letting loose of sin. There is no such thing as salvation where sin is still held. The thought that a man can be saved and still play with his sin is emphatically... There must be a total cleansing of the man's heart and his life. The reference to water is a reference to cleansing. But the Lord doesn't stop there. He says, but he must also be born of the Spirit. That 
certainly is a statement that salvation requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit to regenerate a dead heart and bring faith in the Lord Jesus. No man, no man is saved without faith in the Lord Jesus. The need to embrace the Lord Jesus is not questionable. There are some that believe that there are men who can be saved without faith in the Lord Jesus particularly. Now they believe in God generally. They believe in the idea of righteousness generally. And because of their ignorance, God winks at that and allows them to be saved. No, sir. No, sir. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, doing all that the Holy Spirit does to regenerate a heart and bring faith in Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. So the answer to Nicodemus' question is plain. Every part of a man needs to be renewed and cleansed. That is, his life and his heart. And this can only be done as an act of God. Nicodemus, what we're talking about here is a miraculous thing. You think that being born again, even by your own description, is something that speaks of a miracle. Yes, it is. It is a miracle that is worked by God. The words of the Lord still left Nicodemus with a question, though. For in verse 9, he asks, How can such a cleansing and renewing work be done? How can these things be so? What means could possibly accomplish this change from above? Well, the Lord gently reminds Nicodemus that all the scriptures along with the types and shadows of the law, spoke of this truth. And he questions, how is it that you do not know these things? These are the message of God's revelation from the beginning. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is a work that must be done in the heart of man that changes man entirely, both his life and his heart. It is a work that needs the cleansing of water, as it were, the washing thoroughly, but it also must be having the making alive by the Spirit of God and the renewing of a mind that by faith embraces the truth of Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior. Don't you see this? It was in the Scriptures. But the Lord then gently and pointedly teaches Nicodemus the essence of what he's saying. And you find it in verses 14 and following. Again, the emphasis then in the third place is that salvation is God's work. Nicodemus, you ask me how this is so, I'm going to tell you. 15 speak of the means the means by which God's work is done and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life the Lord Jesus uses an illustration to make his point with Nicodemus he points to the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Now, I, I would say there can be no doubt but that Nicodemus understood that here in that illustration was a reference, reference that had to do with death. 
The serpent was the image of a conquered plague. Death had come to what was lifted up that those that looked might live. Nicodemus surely got this connection. Nicodemus, it is the death of the one that God has sent that this is accomplished. And as the serpent was lifted up, I am also going to be lifted up. He couldn't have helped but understand that. But the means, and I stress this, the means was not just the work only, but more importantly, the means by which a man is made new is by faith that is spoken of in verse 15, in that one who does the work. Again, look at verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Faith. Those that beheld the serpent believed that in looking there was a cure. There it is. There it is, Nicodemus. Faith. Believing in what God's doing. Believing in what God has purposed by sending the Son of Man into this world. There must be in the heart of a man made alive by the Spirit faith. Faith that the one to whom they look is able to save. He is lifted up, but he must be believed upon. It is not enough just to recognize that Jesus was crucified. Understand that he was crucified for sin. You must believe in your heart that he is God's way in which God deals with your He must be seen as the way of salvation. So the Lord Jesus sets before Nicodemus the means of God's work. Christ has come to die. Christ has come to pay the penalty of sin. Christ has come to be made the object of the wrath of God. That we might, like those who looked in the desert, upon the serpent lifted up, we might be those who are delivered from the power of death. That was made very plain, I'm saying. But then you have the motive. Christ speaks not only the means, but he tells Nicodemus why. Now I will mention to you that I believe that verse 16 is so frequently isolated and quoted alone that we hardly ever, if at all, consider it in the context of the Lord's words to Nicodemus. The Lord again points to the need and the result of faith. Yes, that is everlasting life. But it is the motive that the Lord is using to answer Nicodemus' question, how can this be? Well, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you how this can be. How this can all is going to be true. Because God so loved. Our God loves the lost. 
I want us to understand that John 3 and 16 is not a general statement. We use it as such. We quote it as such. We isolate it as such. But it is not just a general statement of truth. I suggest to you as I started out at the beginning of this message with this thought that this can be seen as the Lord Jesus looking at Nicodemus and saying with the voice of God, you are so loved. This is how this thing can be. Nicodemus, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Salvation is a work of God, but salvation's motive is that God has loved those that were lost. And the Lord Jesus is come to seek and to save that which is lost. But don't you forget, the reason for this is that God's infinite, pure, and holy love is set upon you set upon you in such a way that, yes, if you will believe, if you do believe, since you do believe, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Now, I want you to see there's something else here. And I think this verse puts to rest a whole lot of accusations against our God. This statement in verse 16 confirms the immaculate and pure nature of God. Love demands purity. Anything tainted with self is not really love. There's something selfish, there's something that's warped. God, who the scripture tells us, is love. God is love. There is no definition of love that is greater than the person of God. In purity, in immensity, in duration, and in all the ways it manifests itself to the hearts of men. God is love. God is also light. God, we are told, has no shadows in him. There are no, he is pure love. And the pure love of God for the lost shows that he sent the Lord Jesus to redeem that love makes the work of Christ the reality. And by the way, it is miraculous. You notice that there's no, no part of the conversation here in which the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus, what you're talking about, Nicodemus, is not really a miracle. You came to me asking about miracles? I'm not denying any of it. In fact, everything that has to do with what you're asking is miraculous. How can these things be? The answer is because God loves you and has sent his son and sends his spirit to do a work. Make What's our memory verse say? How will we make clean? Yes. 
For he has made him to be sin for us. We are made clean by him taking our sins upon him, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. That we might be made the righteousness or the utterly clean ones in him. And we are made alive and brought to faith by the Spirit of God. God so loved you, Nicodemus, that this is how he does it. I say, here was an answer to the three hows of Nicodemus. Here's an answer, a statement to all who will have ears to hear. Because what the Lord says to Nicodemus is a statement that is true for every single one who is ever saved. If you are saved this morning, you know that you had to come to grips with your sin. You had to know that your sin had to go. And you had to know that you were not able to rid yourself of that sin. So that everyone now, whoever is saved, realizes these things and has come to the feet of the Lord Jesus. And by faith has accepted what he has done on Calvary as the answer for that sin. And therefore, salvation comes. A sermon to one man, but a sermon to us all. The question then that is absolutely needed at this point is, is this, do you believe? Do you believe? Well, may the Lord allow his word to continue to speak to us. For Jesus' sake, let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to do its work in our hearts. Both to make us those who are people of true faith in Christ, but also to make us a people that are glad for the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus. And that we would know indeed that when the Lord Jesus does do that work and he exclaims it is finished, it's a work that we don't need to wonder about. I wonder if it really will get me to heaven. Lord, we pray that you will help us. Help us, O God, to consider your word that we not be a people that faint when the devil would come along with his lies, trying to convince us that there are reasons why we should doubt. Lord, you have done the work. You made us clean. You took our sins upon you. You set your righteousness upon us. And you've now declared that you give to us eternal life. And there's nobody that's going to pluck us out of your hand. We pray now that you will seal this word to our hearts. For the sake of the Lord Jesus, we pray in his precious name. Amen.